1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read the first 28 verses. Don't panic. Okay, I'm just going to focus verse 28 and verse 10, and I'm only going to focus on one phrase in either given verse. All right, so you guys, I don't want everybody breaking out in sweats and, oh my God, we're going to be here until he leaves for Russia. Uh, no, we're not. Okay, Father, we come before your word to hear your truth. Father, uh, you said that through the foolishness of preaching, men would be saved. Father, uh, we come now to be your fools. Let us have ears to hear. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to the wonder of wonder what you do. Father, you only spoke existence into being. And then, Father, you gave us your word that we might know. Help us to fall full weight upon the power of your written word and glory in Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read the first 28 verses and then I'm going to try to bring everybody back up and I'll kind of explain it after we read the word of the Lord. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but they're the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another the faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues." But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. For even as the body is one, yet as many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit you were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. If the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has, replaced, has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. 
And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas... Our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which is lacked, so that there may no be, be no division in the body, but rather the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with, with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now... You are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps administration, and various kinds of tongues. Okay? Over the last 14 weeks, we have stepped out of this book and we've looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. Because it became very clear, many people, there's a great misunderstanding of who he is, what he's doing, uh, and his abilities. And so we've ta- we took 14 weeks and we showed how you can't have an experience and make it something that you can stand on without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot take pragmatism. You can't take man's planning and make yourself more holy or build the church or anything in the spiritual level. Nor can you take psychology and add it to the scripture and make it a pure scripture. We've looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. He is not the evil stepchild that is hidden in the closet somewhere that we should be afraid of. Okay? Nor is he to be ignored. And we looked at that. And then we concluded last week with the message out of Galatians 6 that says, You who are spiritual, meaning that you are spirit-filled because of Galatians chapter 5, says fruit of the Spirit looks like this. Fruit of the flesh looks like this. And he says, Because you who are spiritual see any brother in any trespass, You bear that burden. Okay? Be careful, but you bear that burden. Why? You're bearing fruit that manifests the characteristic and the natures of Jesus Christ. And therefore, you will be Christ in that person's life. And you will help them until they get to the position that they can walk. Okay? Now, that concluded that because then I come back into this text in chapter 12. And what is he describing? The church. What had happened to the church in Corinth? It had been divided. There were schisms in the body. The body of Christ was divided. There were people playing favoritisms. Okay? But I want to review. Because like I said, you have been faithful to this, have been through 14 weeks dealing with what? The Holy Spirit. You've been three years dealing with 1 Corinthians. And I felt led that I should remind you of what you have learned. Okay, because if I don't do that, spiritual gifts will get you in trouble. All right, and he starts out verse 1, chapter 12. I do not want you to be unaware of spiritual gift. The word literally in the original language is, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. And I asked the question several years ago when it started chapter 12. Does the body of Christ today... Look ignorant of spiritual gifts. 
then how's come the Bible says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts, and the body of Christ is? That's why I took off and taught on the person of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to go back with me. This letter, 1 Corinthians, and we have a, another letter, 2 Corinthians, is literally part of four letters that, were, that we know of that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Paul founded this church. He was there for about two years working and laboring in this church. He grew it up, put the next pastor in, changed up a, a cha- trained up a bunch of men that would take over and run this. He's been gone for a couple of years now and he's gotten a, rep- a letter back from them and it says, we got some tough stuff going on here. We're in trouble. And he had sent them a letter back telling them to get it right. He had gotten a confirmation back that they had heard the letter, but they weren't changing things. Why? It had started because there was divisions in the church. And that's why we have 2 Corinthians. There was another letter that was written between 1st and 2nd Corinthians that was a letter of rebuke. And then you have 2 Corinthians. Okay, the letter you have. So there were, we have four letters that we know the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth dealing with the issues at hand. All right? Two of them, God directed. Two of them, Paul directed. We don't have those. Okay? Corinth was a pagan city, an amazing city. Um, it, it, it can't, I, you can't understand it. It defies your understanding. I guarantee it. Okay? It was what they call a free city. And basically, if you were a Roman slave and you were given your freedom, then you could go to Corinth and they would give you a plot of land and you could start your own business and take off. And Corinth was awful. It was awful. I can't even describe it. All right? I don't have the terminology to describe it, nor do I feel it is necessary. Okay? You have an outline in there in your bulletins that we've been dealing with okay we were dealing with these gifts of men gifts that strengthens and gifts that signals we've already dealt with the first two points then we took between the gifts that strengthens and the gifts that signals and we did a 14 week study on the person of the holy spirit today i am just going to scratch the surface on the gifts that signals But this is important that you get all of this. We need to understand that in this letter, the first six chapters has nothing to do with why the Corinthians contacted Paul. Paul just unloads on them in the first six chapters. He doesn't even deal with the issue that they are concerned about until chapter 7. Okay, why? Because the disunity that was in there was breaking Paul's heart. All right, But I want to take you to a text, something I want you to think about, because it's, we struggle with this, I believe, and I believe we need to look at some of this stuff. Verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, "...in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge." Do you understand what he just said there? What was this church lacking? Nothing. If this church is lacking nothing, how come there's division? I can tell you why. It's the same thing that's affecting the church in America today. Okay? We were bringing what we know from our secular lives into the church and trying to plug them in and make the church more holy. Literally what I I look at it, it was the culture was affecting the church instead of the church affecting the culture. 
Okay? I look around at Christendom today, and Christendom at best is apathetic, or at worst is apathetic, at best is complacent. Okay? We, we try to make the church look like the world. And that was what was killing the church in Corinth. And that's what Paul gets into here. Why? In everything you were enriched in him. Verse 7, he says, you were not lacking in any gift. Okay? Now, I, I want to show you something here because this is powerful and this falls into what I'm talking about, gifts to signal. But if you'll drop down there to verse 17, you'll see, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Key, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would be made void. Did you understand what he just said there? He says, methodology voids the cross of God. The cross of the gospel is void because of methods. What do you see today in the church? It's all methodology. If I do this and this, then this is going to happen. Really? He says it would only be by the foolishness of preaching will souls be touched. Anything short of that does what? Read your verse. It voids the cross of Christ. Look at the church today. What do you see? The cross has been voided. Verse 10 of chapter 1 says, I exhort you. That's a very emphasis on, please hear what I'm saying. Brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that in all, agree. Agree. Do you know what? I look at spiritual gifts and I get people who says, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? You know what my biggest struggle with studying chapters 12, 13, and 14 of the book of Corinthians is? I have preconceived notions of what spiritual gifts are like. Well, you know, them charismatics, they're doing what tongue and jibber-jabber stuff, and, and they got this going on, and they got this going on. It's in the Bible. It says, if anybody speaks in a tongue, do not forbid them. Okay, I've had people who taught me, said, you know, all them sign gifts, they're gone. They're history. They're kaput. They stopped at the end of the apostolic age. Can you show me that biblically? You can't. Trust me, I've tried. It's not in there. Okay, now if you guys are all coming to a Baptist church saying, well, I think that guy's a charismatic. I ain't done yet. I ain't done yet. Okay? But I don't believe that if I get a statement from my brother Paul that says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts, that means that he, I've made it as plain as your nose. Okay? Why do we struggle with it? I believe it all lays in these first six chapters. There's division in the church. I want to do it my way. I want to act this, this way. Verse 13, has Christ been divided? No. Here's what we're missing here. Look at verse 18. I just want to read these. I don't want to spend a lot of time. You can go back. I think they're online. we got CDs of it. For the word, that's logos, that would be Christ. For the word of the cross, verse 18, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You got that? Look what he says. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Absolutely. 
Where, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. Did you hear what he just said there? How does God inflict the world with the gospel? Through the message preached. Anything short of that is what? Useless. That's the term. Useless. It accomplishes nothing. Accomplishes nothing. That's what Paul said. I didn't say it. All right. For indeed, the Jews asked for signs, and the Greeks searched for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now watch what he says next. Who's he talking to here? What part of the church? The whole church, isn't he? What does he say? Consider your calling. Who? It doesn't say the elders. It doesn't say the pastor. It doesn't say the Sunday school teacher. It says you who are what? Called. There are not many wise according to the flesh. There's not many mighty. Not many literal highborn, noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame those who are strong. The base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God but by his own But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, became to us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Who is he talking to? Which member of the church is he talking to? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? We have it in our mindset today. We'll hire ministers. I get enough people sitting in the pews. I can get enough offering that I can get enough ministers. And that is against the Bible. It says that you are a minister. You have a calling. You have been given unto the body of Christ for the work of God in the body of Christ. When you're not being used that way, guess what? You're in sin. You're in sin. Okay? Pretty simple, don't you think? He starts out chapter 3. I do not speak as you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. You're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are fleshly. You're walking like mere men, he says. Chapter 3. Chapter 5, he goes into it and says, you know what? He starts out, chapter 5, he says, there's immorality in the church. How do you preach the gospel, the wisdom of God that shames the gospel of men? He says, you got immorality in the church. There's a, a, a person, a man, who has his father's wife. Now, the terminology in the original language means it was probably his stepmother. And the people in 
Corinth said, this man is free in Christ. What's wrong with that? Look at the church today. I've met with Yuri Sipko, the pastor, uh, the head of the, the largest nation of churches in the world. He has oversight over 12 time zones of churches. And he asked me, this was just last week, he asked me, he says, are you close to Colorado Springs? I said, yes, I am. And he says, do you know this man down there, Haggard? And I said, I've met him a time or two. I wouldn't say that, you know, we go bowling together. And he looks at me and his face is torn. And he says, how does that happen? Uh, What do you mean, how does it happen? How do you have a man seeing oversight of 14,000 souls and that happen? You don't have that? No. You've never had a pastoral scandal? Nope. You got 12 times? Nope. It's never happened. Never happened. And he was completely befuddled. I don't know how, how did that happen. I don't know how that happens. You know what his response was? He says, you believe the scriptures. I know you believe the scriptures. I've heard you teach. He says, yes. He says, why do you not stone him? I said, because then I'd be in the news. <laughs> and, I, and I prefer to stay off of Larry King Live. <laughs> He doesn't understand that. It is a completely foreign concept. Doesn't make sense. It defies logic. It isn't real. And and I heard a guy say, well, you know, we don't even know if he's saved. He says, how does he have oversight of 14,000 souls? Well, perhaps his accountability factor was, how do you have non-accountability with 14,000 souls? The Bible teaches that you shouldn't be a teacher. Their judgment is harsher. Do we believe it? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That is the church in Corinth. That is what Paul is dealing with. You've got a man here and they're bragging about, well, no, he's uh, got his uh, father's wife and it's really cool because he's free in Christ. Chapter 6, they were suing each other. They were suing each other, taking each other to court. And Paul says, what's the matter? Remember, we haven't even dealt with why they wanted to ask Paul some questions. Chapter 7, he begins with this statement. Now concerning the things about which you wrote. Okay, now I want you to understand this. Please get a hold of this. He is not condemning this church. He's saying you lack nothing. What's wrong with you? I want you to be in agreement about all things and all matters. Take it before the Lord. Take it to the Word. Hold it fast there. That's what he's saying. And he says you're getting into trouble because you have this tendency to bring the things of the world in, plug it into the church, and wonder why you have chaos, divisions, and schisms. I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am of Apollos. I see it today. I am of John MacArthur. I am of the Baptist. I am of Calvary. I am of this. I am what? What? 
I remember a guy one time says, Terry, you've made the Bible an idol. And I said, if you'd have seen the things I used to worship, you'd know that's an upgrade. Chapter 7, he begins dealing with people who believe that being single is more spiritual than being married. He's dealing with people who believe that married is more spiritual than being single. And that if you're divorced, you should do this. And if you're single, you should do this. And when can you get a divorce? And why can't you get a divorce? And why are you doing this? And do you see what had just happened? I asked a number of Russian pastors in the past, how many people in your church are divorced? And they look at me like I fell off a planet. Divorced? You can't be in a church and be divorced. I said, really? He said, no, you can't. It's impossible. Why? For one thing, we don't allow you to marry an unbeliever. That's number one. Okay, it's impossible. You ain't doing it. For the next thing, if you and your wife don't show up at church two Sundays in a row, the leadership of the church comes and stays at your house until it's resolved. Dude, that's some serious motivation there. Honey, we're going to church and I don't care if you don't feel like it. I don't want the people coming over and eating my ham. Why? Because they say, you know, the church is the bride of Christ and marriage was given to reflect Christ's role with the church. And if you want to pass out tracts, go ahead. You want to preach the gospel, show your marriage as Christ in the church. And that's what they believe. It's insane. I never seen anything like that. I, my interpreter in uh, Orel, uh, Misha, um, you know, he, he come up to me and he says, I must share with you. And I said, what? And he says, I'm, I'm going to get married. And I said, well, cool. He says, I need you not to say nothing to anyone. I said, no one speaks my language. <laughs> they don't even know when I say it. And he says, well, I haven't asked her, nor have I asked the pastor. And I said, don't you have to ask her father? He says, I have to ask Pastor Valeri first. Why? He shepherds my soul. He shepherds Anna's soul. If he sees something wrong, I must listen. I said, so how do you guys date? He said, we don't date. Well, dude, what is it? A surprise package at the wedding or what? (laughs) Poof, look. Oh, darn. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's sort of like, what is it? Jacob pulls back the veil and goes, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. That ain't the one it's supposed to have been. He says, no, that's why we're in church. I said, what do you mean why you're in church? He said, we learn each other in church church you know what they were wanting to come say goodbye to me i was catching my train they do not allow singles to go out together move around together without an adult couples with them married and he was almost late meeting and he says i had to find a couple that was willing listen they're getting on a bus and like a mass transit they're getting on a bus and they're riding down a bus down from the church down to the railroad station how much trouble can you get in don't answer that. Never mind. <laughs> I don't want to ask you guys that. Okay? But he comes down and he wants to say goodbye. Anna wants to say goodbye to me. And they had to get a, an, an adult couple to come with them. And this is about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And foggy, rainy, snow. Ugh. I, I had said goodbye a long <laughs> See you, dude. <laughs> How about email? But you see what happens? Single, married, we fight with it here. Divorce, when do you divorce? Can you divorce? Why should you divorce? We fight with it. Um, chapter 8, they're dealing with quarreling and their liberties. 
um, our freedom. Your all things are permissible, permissible. Not all things are profitable. Okay, I am free in Christ, absolutely. But when your freedom masters you, you have now become a slave to it. It becomes a new idol. Um, Paul's example of uh, this freedom is chapter nine, chapter ten. Avoid the mistakes of Israel. Okay, here's the one that everybody loves. Chapter eleven. God created the. Us, man and woman, he created authority and submission. Listen, if you don't like it, fine. Mark this out of your Bible. I don't have a problem with it. Just say, no, I'm not going to listen to that part. Okay? Men, you know, I was talking about this in my Bible study this morning. You know what? I see men saying, well, you just don't understand, preacher. My wife will not submit to me. I just can't make her. You know what? Duh. Okay? I've never gotten anybody to submit to me. Ever. Okay? I've got, seen him submit to the word of the Lord. But here's the problem, guys. Do you love your wife the way Christ loves the church? It's amazing to me that men know what the women are supposed to do and the women know what the men are supposed to do. That's the problem. Do what you're supposed to do and let God deal with her. Or vice versa. Okay, and it doesn't say men love your wives as Christ loved the church as long as she submits. That's not true. Now then, and if you want to think about it, you think about that real hard. What did Christ do for the church? Okay? Sign up, dudes. We're in. Okay? And I guarantee you, if you do your part, it's amazing what God will do through her. Women, same thing. All right? Then... And it starts out, if you don't believe me, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Chapter 11, verse 1. Then he moves into spiritual gifts. They had questions about spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant of it. If you look at your outline there, you'll see that God gave gifts of men. Okay, what in the world is that? Verse 28. First, he gave apostles and prophets. These are the foundation layers of the church. They laid the foundation. They gave us the doctrine. They gave us the New Testament. And on that, we we exist this day. After that, he gave evangelists. You know what evangelists are for? Yes, you're right. They take the message out to the people. Why? So that you can have a pastor and a teacher. Why? The evangelist has a burning desire for lost souls. He preaches the gospel. Hear what I said. He preaches the gospel. It pierces their heart. They bow before the king. And now they must be strengthened. How do they strengthen? Through... Pastors and teachers. That's what I do. I am not an evangelist. I am like Timothy. I have to do the work of an evangelist. You know what that means? It doesn't come easy to me. I've met people that just share the gospel. You go sit at a restaurant and the maitre d' they'll say, share the gospel. You have a spiritual belief. And I'm sitting there going, oh, you're embarrassing me. Okay. Uh, I seen a guy at a restaurant the other day had a hat on and he was getting, praying at his table. He was praying in tongues. I'll deal with that in a few weeks. And the little light on the hat, hat was blink, blinking Jesus. And I thought, that'll work. <laughs> Why didn't I think of one of that? I could be rich and stupid. Okay? But do you see what I'm trying to get at? My heart is a shepherd. I'm a teacher. I'm a preaching, teaching pastor. That's what I do. Okay? I, you know what? I, don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't like lost people. Sometimes I like lost people more than I do saved people. But the truth of the matter is, my passion is to grow you up so you're an evangelist. And I don't have to go do it. (laughs) There are gifts of men. So you see the gifts. Apostles, prophets, 
evangelists, pastor teachers. All right, we dealt with that. Then we dealt with gifts that strengthen. Okay, gifts that strengthen. Gifts that edify. There's leadership. Leadership gift is supervising of the saints. Okay, you have a serving gift. That supports the leadership. When the leadership comes up with a brain, great idea, the serving gifts step up and say, let's help it out. Perfect. Then you have the gift of giving. That's the supply to the needy. There are people who just give. They give of time. They give of money. They give of resources. They just give and give and give and give. And they love it. They just think it's great. They don't, I don't want nobody to know what I'm doing. I'm just going to do this and I'm going to give. All right. Then you have the gift of mercy. All right. And mercy is those who have sympathy, who have heartache for the sick, the poor, and the hurting. It's supernatural empowerment, supernatural enabling. You have the gift of faith. The gift of faith is what I call the prayer gift. That is the gift that says, I will secure God's power. Everything I do, I'm going to deal with in God's power. There is the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment guards the saints from the counterfeit. You add in these speaking gifts that comes from the evangelist, the pastor, teacher. You put these gifts together, and guess what you got? You will make the church mature in Christ. The church will stand up and look just like Jesus. And everybody goes, whoa. Whoa. Spirit paints the desire to reveal Christ. It's all done by the Spirit. All right, now then. Whew. Verse 10. To another, the effecting of miracles. Okay, literal translation, the working of miracles. Okay? Some argue that miracles, healings, languages, interpretation of languages are temporary. I don't have that argument. I can't find that biblically. But I do want you to know this. I am going to stand firm on verse 1. I do not want you to be ignorant of these, of spiritual gifts. Okay? So I want to kind of give you a a kind of a big definition and a picture of miracles. All right? And that's all I'm going to do today. You just covered 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians. My greatest passion, my greatest love on the planet Earth today is the bride of Christ, the church. Well, I thought you were supposed to love Jesus. Why'd you separate him from his bride? See? My greatest love that I have is the bride of Christ in the Bible. Well, you're making the Bible an idol. Why did you separate Jesus Christ from his word? I can't tell the difference. I cannot tell the difference between the bride of Christ and the word of God and Christ. Sorry. And if you can prove to me biblically that there's a separation in there, stand in line. Okay? First of all, I am not going to say God can't do miracles. Okay? I believe God can. I believe God does. I believe God is doing. And I believe God can do whatever he wants, whatever he wants, as often as he wants, whatever, whoever he wants, when he wants. And I don't care whether you even argue with him. If he wants to do something that is against the normal, natural law, he'll do it. Whenever he feels like it. But, as we proceed into these gifts that's what I call signal, let us... Deal fairly with the scriptures. Okay? All right? And one of the things... Listen, you don't believe in miracles? I believe right now, when people say that the sign gifts are gone, I think they're idiots. Sorry. 
What do you want me to call them? Do you not understand the miracle of the new birth? That is a moment-by-moment miraculous transformation that is against the laws of nature. That's insane. That's miraculous. And anybody says, well, miracles are gone, is an idiot. Or they're not saved. Which really makes it bad. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Does that, do you understand that the Bible is a miracle? And yet, uh, miracles are gone. Why? Well, because I heard them Yahoo speaking in tongues, and if i got to get rid of tongues, i got to get rid of signs and wonders and miracles. Man, every time I look in a mirror and he gives me my next breath and I know where I came from and I know where I'm at and I know where I'm going, I can look at my God and know he's a God of miracles. All right? So then, second thing I want you to know, and this is where I'll kind of park today. We need to be real careful in what we defined as a miracle. Okay? you got to be real careful about that. From this pulpit, I have said I have not been able to spiritualize how do I get my hands on a 50 caliber black powder rifle. Okay, I just can't get it into biblically, and I'm just not going to worry about it. I got one yesterday. Okay, it was not a miracle. Okay, now if I'd have been sitting out on my deck and it fell out of the sky and landed in my lap, I'm calling it a miracle. Okay, but somebody took time, went out, picked it out, spent money, handed it to me. Okay, that's not a miracle. Okay, my uh, son struggles with geometry. If he passes geometry, it is not a miracle. Well, it might be. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. Well, maybe I need to redefine this. No. Okay, passing a class is not a miracle. Okay. Have you ever been around Christmas trying to find a parking place and you find one and it's right there by the door? That's not a miracle. Okay? Um, I'm trying to apply for a house loan or I'm trying to apply for a car loan and I got it and it was not a miracle. Okay? I was in desperate need of something and there it was and it's still not a miracle. What is a miracle? Okay, and I had to write down a definition. This is, uh, I just want you to hear what a miracle is. Okay, it is a supernatural intrusion into natural law. Okay, I'm not done with the definition. It's a supernatural intrusion into natural law, that which can have no other explanation than that God is acting. Okay? If you were ever to watch open heart surgery where they take veins out of your butt and put it on your heart, I don't even know what that means. If you ever watch that, they crack open the chest, they stop the heart, they take these veins out of your, and where you sit, and they put them right here, they sew them in, and then they start the heart back up, and poof, blood goes, they close you back up, and you're in serious pain for months. Okay? Now, if you sit and watch that, what are you going to think it is? That's a miracle. Okay? Ain't a miracle. Ain't a miracle. I can explain it to you. Okay? When an axe head floats in water, explain that to me. 
I don't, you know, okay. Well, what if it was a salty sea? I've been in salty seas. I've been in the Dead Sea and I've been in the Great Sea at Salt Lake. You ain't floating no axe head. Okay, I guarantee it. You throw an axe head in either of those two salty bodies of water and that bugger's going to the bottom. See the difference? Listen. If there's any other possible explanation or circumstance when a miracle happens, then it's not supernatural. When God does a miracle, it is supernatural. God invades the natural flow of nature and only God can be responsible for what happened. Please understand that. Okay? I heard it described this way one time. A guy was sitting by a lake. He had rented a house, he was on a sabbatical, and he had rented a house that was on a lake, a high mountain lake, had a deck on it, and he had gotten up one morning, and that lake was just like a piece of glass. He says, there, he says you could see the reflection of everything in it. You could see the reflection of the blue in the skies, the mountains on the backside of it, you see it, and he says that it was so flat, okay, that you could tell the details of the mountain being reflected in the water. It was that flat. And he said he was just sitting there in awe of this lake, and all of a sudden, a ripple just started across the lake. No apparent reason. It just stopped. He looked around. There's nobody around. There is no wind. And he seen it go flat again. And then a few minutes later... Another ripple came up, and his only conclusion was, somebody's got to be down around that corner throwing rocks in the lake. Okay, but that's a miracle. God takes what is just flat, and nothing is changing, and he chucks a rock into it. And it ripples all the way across it. Listen, God is the creator of existence, that's all. And when he created his existence, he created it to run. It all works. Sun comes up, sun goes down. World spins around, you get rain, you get drought, you get snow. It all works. It's just cruising along. All right? But every once in a while, he'll raise the dead, he'll part a sea, cause an axe head to float, just so people don't forget who's running the bus. Okay? But it has to be something that has no other explanation. That's a miracle. Listen, I want to lift miracles back to where they were. Okay? Here's a quote I got from B.B. Warfield. I quote, When our Lord came down to earth, He drew heaven with Him. The signs which accompanied His ministry were but the trailing clouds of glory which he brought from heaven, which is his home. The number of miracles which he wrought may easily have been underrated. It has been said that in effect he banished disease and death from Palestine for three years of his ministry. If this is an exaggeration, it is, an, it is a pardonable exaggeration. We ordinarily greatly underestimate his beneficial activity as he went about, as Luke says, doing good. His own divine power 
by which he began to found his church, he continued in the apostles whom he had chosen to complete this great work. Unquote. Okay? Now I want you to keep thinking with me. I want you to keep thinking with me. Hang in here. Okay, because I'm just going to lay a foundation. I'm going to build on it next week. Jesus was a miracle worker. Why? Why? I can tell you why. I'm going to go to John's Gospel, chapter 2. We'll look at it in a second. I want you to think about it. We have in our mind that God does miracles all the time. Truth of the matter is, He doesn't. Why? When He created this, what how, He said it'll run, right? And if you're truly honest with Scripture, you're going to find, hear me well, two times in the Old Testament that God was doing miracles. What? Yep, check it out. Two times. And both times are key to understanding miracles. First time, Moses, a.k.a. Charlton Heston. Okay, right? Charlton Heston. And what was he doing? He was revealing himself in the written words of Moses, and he did it in a miraculous fashion, did he not? From the time he came out, remember we got in trouble with the bush? Okay, he should have voted Democrat. But he got in trouble with the bush, right? And had all that stuff going on. Had to go back, Pharaoh, plagues, cross the Red Sea, da-da-da-da-da. And then after that book was done, what happened? You don't see him. Oh, but you do see him again because God needed to prove to you and I that he would speak through his prophets. What are the first two? Elijah and Elijah. And guess what they did? Tricks. Miracles, didn't they? Why? Because now I can prove the validity of my prophets in holy word. So God has two instances in the Old Testament that he used miracles and it was for the validation of who he is confirming what he was doing. Period. Then at the end of Malachi, you got 14 year, 400 years where God says nothing. He validated his written word through Moses and the prophets and then he says, let me validate to you the living word. Jesus Christ. Which takes me to John 2. I'm going to wrap this up quickly. Here we go. Watch what happens. Chapter 2, verse 11. This beginning. All right, what beginning? Where are we? What's going on? Remember, water, wine, wedding in Canaan. All right, he's just changed a bunch of water jugs into wine. He says, this Beginning of what? His signs. Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee. Why? And manifest his glory and his disciples believed in him. Got it? What are miracles for? Validation of God is at work and to manifest the glory of Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 36. 
chapter 5, verse 36. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify of me that the Father has sent me. What's he talking about? His miracles. What are they for? They are a testimony. They are a greater testimony than that of John the Baptist. They are the testimonies of the works of God the Father and to what God the Father has sent him to accomplish. Why? God the Father, God, Elohim, Adonai, is confirming this is my son. This is the living word. I've given you the written word. Now you have the living word. Okay, go on to John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 30. I know it's in here somewhere. Okay, chapter 20, verse 30, says this. Therefore, okay, love that. What's that talking about? All of these things. Reach here. You see your fingers, see my size. This is his incarnation. He's standing there and he's saying, I am not a spirit. Touch me. You'll see that I am resurrected. Therefore, many other signs. Same word that you will see in the King James is miracles. Many other signs, other miracles Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciple, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe. Now, look, I want you to show, show you something here. Okay, there's a lot more here and I don't have time. I wanted to get you all back into speed at 1 Corinthians. But what does he say? Not that you would come to salvation through my magic tricks. Not because you would come to salvation through my miracles. But what? These, that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing You may have life in his name. Do you see the difference there? The miracles were to validate who he was. I validated Old Testament by miracles. Moses and the prophets. Okay? I was quiet for 400 years. Now I manifest the living word. My son. And by you seeing that he has the abilities that Moses and the prophets spoke of, he is who he says he is. And therefore, you believe. You don't believe in the tricks. You don't believe in the miracles. You believe that the miracles validate the person. The miracles of Jesus does not save you. The person of Jesus saves you. Okay? Jesus' miracles proved God was being revealed, and He was. That's the definition of miracles. And I'll lay this more as we come together in the weeks to come. Please, exalt miracles back to where miracles are. Okay? Please, miracles validate God. They bring glory to God. You got it? It isn't magic. What is being touted as miracles today is non-existent entity. Okay? Miracles. Three times. Four times in Holy Writ will you find miracles. Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. Jesus, and the apostles. You don't see them ever again. They're not there. Okay? Does that mean they're gone? 
I haven't seen him. Why? What does God need to really reveal about himself to you and me? Right there. Maybe the greatest miracle that exists on the planet Earth right now. Other than the born again lie. I see the word validated through the prophets and through Moses in the Old Testament. The New Testament is Christ, the living one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for miracles. Thank you for the amazing things you've done in my life. Thank you for the amazing things you've done in the life of these, this group of people. Father, we praise you and we love you. Lord, uh, you've already done immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. And I praise you for that. Lord, help us to see, help us to see these gifts that signal in your word. In your word, the way you do it. Father, let us who gather not be ignorant of these spiritual gifts. Open our eyes that we may see Jesus. Open our ears that we may hear Jesus. Open our lives that we may walk with Jesus. In his name, amen.